Light. What about light? Light makes everyone happy. Unless you have to wake up early in the morning, then nobody's happy. What's that? Yeah. It what? It warns of danger. Exposes the darkness. What's that? Illuminates our path. You're reading your notes. I'm so happy about that. I'm good with that. Yes, we talked about light last week. It, it can blind us. We talked about this idea of light and the fact that, that every one of us relies on light. In some form or fashion, we have to have light to live and that that light is a gift from God. But the most important light that God ever gave us is what Scripture tells us is Jesus Christ, that he came in as the light of the world. So last week we talked about what it means to receive that light, to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that our, our problem that we have is the sin nature that we're born with, and that Jesus came to give us a solution to that problem. And that when we're presented with who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, we have a choice. We have a choice of whether or not we're going to keep stumbling around in the darkness and keep playing around with our sin, or we're going to step into the light and ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. That is a one-time choice that we get to make. But then every day after that, we make another choice. Whether or not we're going to take that light and live it. We're going to make decisions every single day to follow our sin and our old nature or whether we're going to turn around and follow the new creation that Scripture tells us we are made when we become a child of God. So let me ask you guys this question. Do you ever have a hard time living out your relationship with Christ? This is not a rhetorical question. If you don't know what that means, that means I'm looking for an answer. Yes, you do. Why? Okay, raise your hand. Mandy. Because you feel alone. What do you mean? What's that? Okay, you're worried you're going to be the only person who's taking a stand? Okay. Who else? Reed, you, have, you said yes. Why? Okay, we do fail sometimes, yes. Samantha? We give in to simple desires. Okay. Tell me, what are some areas, and maybe maybe it's not you personally, maybe it is, what are some areas, some parts of your life where you struggle living out your relationship with Christ? It's hard for you. Uh, devotions. Devotions, okay. Spending time in God's Word, that can be very hard to do. Because when you wake up in the morning, you're tired and you're rushed and have to get to school, and when you come home, you just want to go to sleep. Or watch Pretty Little Liars or whatever it is on TV. Yeah, I'm catching some of you. I'm catching some. Hey, I, I keep up. I see you guys on Facebook and Twitter mostly. What else? What other, what other areas? School? Why school? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Okay. But, but hold on. Hold on. I'm going to ask you, and guys, maybe you can help him with this. I'm going to ask you to expound on that a little bit. What, what about school? What do you mean peer pressure? Give me an example. Okay, so you don't have a choice but to hang out with the wrong people. Okay, so at that point, it makes it hard to live out what you say you believe because of the people you're hanging around. Okay, can, can I make a safe assumption that everybody in here at some point struggles with living out your relationship with Christ? Is that pretty safe to assume? I mean, that's, that's true for me. Hey, I'm, I'm asking a question here. Is that safe to assume? 
Okay. Some of you say yes. It's a pretty safe assumption. Every single one of us at some area in our life, at some point in time, we have a hard time living out this relationship with Christ. The great thing is, is that when we actually spend time in Scripture, we see practical ways of how we can live out our faith, even when it's hard for us. And a lot of times it will be hard, but they're easy things, easy, simple little reminders that if we will just go back to what this book says, it won't be quite so hard because we'll remember what we're supposed to be focused on. And where we're going to look at that tonight is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles with you, which is like hardly any of you, you need to bring your Bibles. If you don't, pull it up on your phone, but do me a favor, only use the Bible on your phone during this time, okay? That's all I ask if you're using your phone. What's that? Or taking notes. You can do that too. That's not a problem. Please don't be a distraction to your neighbor with your phone or a distraction to yourself with your own phone. Go to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 4. Where we're starting here is this is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And if you go back and you read the beginning of this book, you'll find out as you get up to chapter 3, Paul is talking about the fact that believers, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, have asked for his forgiveness through his blood and his resurrection. As believers, we have a covenant with God. Now, this is the, the Scripture calls it the New Covenant. There's the Old Covenant, which was the Ten Commandments. God gave that law to Moses. That's how all the Israelites were supposed to live their lives to honor God, was following his commands. But see, when Jesus came in, Jesus came in to fulfill that written law in the flesh. And he died and was resurrected, and that formed a new covenant. So now the person we're supposed to follow is not just those written laws, but the flesh of God, which is Jesus Christ and what his word says. So it says as believers in chapter 3 that we have a new covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And then as we get into chapter 4, it picks up here and it, Paul reminds this church at Corinth that because of what Jesus has done, they have a ministry to carry out. That because of Jesus' blood, because of his death and his resurrection, that they have a ministry that they are responsible for. And just like they had that ministry they're responsible for, we as believers also have that ministry we're responsible for. That means we have a responsibility to take our faith, to take this light of Jesus Christ that we've received and live it out every single day. And as Paul gets into chapter 4 here of 2 Corinthians, he gives us some pretty good pointers of how we can do that, even when it's hard, even when we're in class with all the wrong people, even when we have peer pressure. Even when we have people around us who make it so unbelievably difficult to stick to what we say we believe and how we believe we should behave as a result of what we believe, Scripture tells us that it's possible. So Paul starts talking about it. And we're just going to jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The first way that we can live out the light, this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, is this. Is what it says at the end of this verse. We do not lose heart. You guys, I have the opportunity to be positive in a negative world. To be positive. Scripture right here says, because of this, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Do you guys ever lose heart? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever have a hard time being positive? Anybody? 
Yeah, again, I'm, I'm asking real questions tonight. I'm, these are not like, hey, y'all just listen to me. I'm asking real questions. Tell me some things that make it hard for you to be positive. Read. Um, what's going on with countries? Okay. Like poverty, wars, different things happening. Okay, what's going on in third world countries? Yes. You had a test request. That makes for a horrible day, doesn't it? It does make it hard to stay positive. Yes. <laughs> okay. You know people that have family members that have died or are going going to die soon. Yes, Lindsay. When you are around someone who always complains. You know what? Hey, these are all true. Because guys, guys, whether whether we realize it or not, whether we realize it or not, it can be very, very hard to stay positive. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're starting to lean towards a negative attitude. And if we don't catch ourselves, that one little negative comment leads to another negative comment, to another negative comment, and before we know it, we're looking for things that upset us. We're looking for things that make us mad. In fact, it's become so easy to be negative I was looking on Twitter the other day. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm friends with some of you on Twitter, or, or follow you, you follow me, however that works. And I want, I want to read you some of the tweets that I found here. Just some of you, not all of you. There's actually only three. Everybody's really nervous right now. This is awesome. But you know what? Hey, hey. Here's, here's how easily, hey, here's how easily... We can put negative comments out there. Brandon's like sweating over there right now. I can see you, buddy. Just don't worry, Brandon. I didn't use anything off of your page. You're okay. Here's, here's, no, don't delete your Twitter. Here's, I'm only doing three. I'm only doing three, but guys, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to these three and see if these sound negative. And they're maybe not really negative, but there's some negativity to it. How about this one? I always get my hopes too high. Is that negative? That was a female, yes. Now, I'm not putting any names with any of these. But that was a tweet on somebody's, uh, somebody tweeted that. I always get my hopes too high. Is that negative? Okay. Do you see how, how easily we just put it out there? Or how about this one? And this one, this one was kind of funny. And this is nobody in this room, but it is one of your classmates if you go to NFC. Having a bad day? Blame Obama. Hey, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't write it. I just read it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, gang, I didn't write it. I just read it. Okay? Is that negative? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <coughs> Whether you like, hold on, whether you like our president or not, that's not a positive comment about the president. So it is negative, okay? Now, wait, 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 hold on. Stop. Pay attention to what's happening in this room right now. I made, hey, I made one, I read one negative comment about the president, and you guys are going off. See what I mean about how one leads to another? Leads to another? Hold on, I got one more. I got one more, and I saved this one for last because I, 
I just, uh, this one's awesome. Moses closed, so naturally my life is over. <laughs> Mendy. <laughs> By the way, it's not closed. They're just remodeling. It was, it was on the radio the other day. Okay, hold on, guys. Is that negative in any way? My life is over because there's like four more in town, but that one's closed. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> but you, hey, hey, gang, every one of these, all three of these, and trust me, hey, there were many, many more that I did not write down. Many more. Every one of these is a small negative comment. But as you saw right here in this room, one small negative comment, one small negative outlook can grow. It can very quickly become a negative attitude. And very quickly that negative attitude starts to infect other people. But you see, Scripture tells us right here in this first verse, Paul says, we do not lose heart. See, there's a problem there because this negative attitude and the idea that because of Christ we do not lose heart, they don't really go together. Those two things don't really work at all. And I will tell you this, guys. I understand the whole negative attitude and struggle with it. Miss Kathleen will tell you, I struggle with it. There's days that if you catch me at the wrong time, you would not like me very much. Because I can be the most cynical, negative, pointing out every possible bad thing you could think of about anything. A butterfly could fly by me and be like, you're doing that wrong! You know? I can be that guy. We all struggle with it. But Scripture tells us that we shouldn't. Scripture tells us that if we've got a relationship with Christ, that we shouldn't lose heart. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, you find a passage in the book Habakkuk. Y'all don't read from that book very often, do you? But if you go back to this book, it says this in, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yield, fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, we don't have any food or any way to provide for ourselves. He says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I'm willing to bet you all have never faced that situation where you've had absolutely no food. You've had no cattle to provide for yourselves. Most of y'all have never even been near cattle. You've seen it on TV. You drive down the road and go, moo. But you know what? Habakkuk is writing right here, guys, that even in the most desolate, desperate situations, he will still praise God and rejoice because it says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you catch what he's saying there? What is it, where does our joy come from? Food? Sometimes. Where does our ultimate joy come from? Should come from. Yeah. It should come from God. Hey, that's what Scripture says. It doesn't... Yeah, we do get joy out of food, shopping, mows. There's a lot of things that give us joy. But even if every single one of those things goes away, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you still have joy. Because that's what Scripture tells us. 
Our joy is not based on our circumstances. It doesn't matter if we didn't get the grade we wanted. It doesn't matter if that guy likes us or that girl likes us or we're not getting the car we want or whatever of a thousand different things, even if everything in your life goes wrong. If you have a relationship with Christ, you still have the ability to have joy. Because all of those other things, they are temporary and the only thing that is constant in your life is God. What will make you happy today can be gone tomorrow. But God is still there. What you think you want now for the rest of your life, that, oh God, if I could just have this, I would be set and I would be happy. And all of that, you can get it and it will go away. But God is still there. Because God is the source of our joy. We can have joy that God doesn't change. That no matter what our circumstance, good, bad, whatever it is, we still have the creator of the universe behind us. We still have the Holy Spirit in us. And we are safe in his arms no matter what happens. That is how we can be positive in a negative world. Is to focus on God. To focus on Christ and what he's done. Now I will tell you this and I want to warn you of this. You can that take you can take that to a very creepy extreme. I had a teacher in high school. And this teacher, I'm not kidding you, he never did anything but smile. I mean, like the joker, like a permanent grin. Did I tell you this before? No, 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 no. No, I had a friend in class one day who was cutting up, cracking jokes, and the teacher kept telling him, stop, stop, stop. And he didn't stop. And finally, finally, my teacher, he lost it. He started yelling. He threw something, and the smile never left his face. It was kind of freaking us out. So much, so much that he finally told my friend, I want you to get up, I want you to get out of my class. And he walked over when the guy walked out. And he slammed the door as hard as he could. I mean, so hard that the door bounced back open. And he turns around and he's still just going. (laughs) And we're all kind of like, we're a little afraid of you right now. There's a difference between having joy and freaking people out. Okay? We can have joy. That no matter what we face, guys, no matter what we face, we still have God. There is still that constant in our life. To know that even when our world seems to be falling apart, God is still holding us in his hands. That's how we can be positive. And I will promise you, it is a struggle if you haven't figured that out already. You will struggle with this. But it is possible. And that's why you need people around you to encourage you. People around you to say, hey, okay, yeah, that happened, but let's think of that in the grand scheme of things. Where's your focus? Yeah, that's important. We'll take care of that. But what about the joy you're supposed to have? That's why it matters who you hang out with. That's why it matters who your friends are, because your friends can lift you up or your friends can take you right down with them. So you've got to be aware of that. Let's keep going. That's not the only thing that Paul tells us here. He tells us, in starting in verse 2, It says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, that's a long set of verses right there. So let's break that down a little bit. What we see here, what we can take away from this is this. You need to be a person of integrity in a deceptive world. You live in a world that will lie to you in a heartbeat. You do. You will meet people, if you haven't already, that will tell you anything you want to hear so that they can get from you what they want to benefit themselves. And this tells us right here that that that's not how we're supposed to be. Paul starts off, he says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. You see, Paul, Paul had been accused here of actually changing the word of God because there had been other people who had come before him who had said, okay, yes, you need Jesus, but you need Jesus and. And they've tampered with God's word because God's words tells us that we need Jesus. There is no and. It's just Jesus. He had been accused of being underhanded. He had been accused of not having integrity. But you see, if we're focused on God, we have the opportunity to be people of integrity. Have y'all ever met anybody that you pretty sure you couldn't trust? Yeah? We all have. If you haven't, you will. You will meet somebody in your life that at some point in time you will find out real quick, yeah, I probably can't tell them anything about myself because it's going to be used against me. Or I can't really tell them anything because they're just lying with every single word. When they breathe, they're lying. But see, Scripture calls us to be people of integrity. Now, none of us ever lie, right? No. That was a lie right there. Busted. We all lie, don't we? Who taught you how to lie? Okay. Me? I know, not me. Hey. Guys. You, hey, you are born... You are born with a bent towards lying. Now, there may be outside influence that have helped you develop it. Parents, brothers and sisters, friends. There are people who may have helped you develop it in your life, but we are born liars. I've told you all this before. My three-year-old daughter, there are times she will lie right to your face and not even think twice about it. No, she's not. She's horrible. My daughter's a filthy, stinking little liar. She's a pretty little liar. There she is. I had to go there. We all are. Guys, there are going to be times in your life, there are going to be times in your life where you are caught lying if you haven't been already. Hey, we all do it. There was a time, (laughs) Miss Kathleen can attest to this, I got an email one day from a lady that I worked with. And to be honest with you, it wasn't anything bad. I just I didn't feel like dealing with it. The lady kind of got on my nerves a little bit. I didn't really want to answer the email. And I saw her the next day, and Miss Kathleen was with me. And I had already talked to Miss Kathleen about this email. And she comes up to me. She says, hey, did you see my email? And I looked her right in the face and went, no, I hadn't seen that yet. And then she went on to explain her email to me, and we walked away, and Miss Kathleen said, you're a liar. You just lied to her. And I had absolutely no reason to do that other than this. There was something I didn't want to deal with, so the easiest thing for me to do was 
lie about it. Now, it wasn't here. I haven't lied to you all. I didn't lie to anybody on staff here. I promise. She'll tell you if I do. She'll wrap me out in a heartbeat. But hey, guys, that's just to show you that any one of us can lie at the drop of a hat with no problem and not even thinking about it if it serves us. Scripture says don't be like that. Scripture says we're supposed to be people of integrity. My lie was not me being a person of integrity, was it? No. That was me doing what suited me in the moment so I didn't have to deal with something I didn't want to deal with. Somebody I didn't really want to talk to. But I wasn't practicing integrity. That's what Paul's saying is, guys, we've got to be people that are upright. We've got to be people of integrity so that when we do start to talk to someone about something that's serious, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, like we'll talk about next week, sharing the light, the first thing that comes to their mind isn't the lies that we've already told them. Why would they believe us about something that's important and the absolute truth when they can't trust us in the small stuff? That's why it matters. Because, guys, the world, people out there will tell you lies all day long to use you to get what they want to try and get you to be a part of what they're doing. And Scripture tells us we're supposed to be set apart from that. We're supposed to be people of integrity. We're supposed to be people that are different. And that's why Paul is kind of defending himself here because it says that that they were accused of changing the gospel. And Paul actually addresses it. He says, you know, the gospel is veiled to some. The gospel, it says the gospel is veiled to some. But Paul says, that's not me veiling the gospel. If they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've presented it as truth and what it is. If they don't understand it, it's because the God of this world has blinded them. You know what that means? Do you? What does that mean? Yeah. It means Satan has blinded them. He says, if you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not because I haven't explained it the way it is and the truth. It's because Satan has blinded you from it. Because that's who Satan is. That's what Satan does. Scripture tells us that in John chapter 8, verse 44. You are the father... You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we have received the light of who he is. And that light changes us. We talked about that last week. We talked about our sin nature that we're born with, that we're stumbling around in the darkness. It tells us that in Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Because that's how we're born. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But if we belong to Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us we are a new creation. We are no longer a creature of the darkness. We are a creature of the light. We are no longer blinded to the gospel because we're not letting Satan cover our eyes anymore. And I know you hear, oh, Satan, he's this big bad thing. No, Satan's real. We know he's real because he's in Scripture. And Scripture is truth. God doesn't lie. So when, when people tell you Satan, demons, that's just something to scare you. No, it's real. You better look out because it's true. 
And he does work to keep you from focusing on Christ. He does work to keep you from living out the relationship that you have. And part of that relationship has called us to be people of integrity. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse verse 5 of chapter 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, guys, he's saying right here in verse 5 and explains it in verse 6, that for us to be a light, for us to live out our relationship, we have to be servants in a selfish world. He says it right there in that verse 5. We proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. How many of you guys like to be served? Let's be honest. You like people waiting on you, don't you? If you had the opportunity... Okay, and maybe this is just an age difference here. Does anybody in here watch the show Downtown Abbey? Okay, there's a couple of you. Good, I don't, I don't feel so old now. Thank you. I'm a woman? No, but I'm married to one. Deal with that. That show, if you've ever watched it, yep, got you there. If you've ever watched that show, you've got this family, this wealthy family, not as wealthy as they used to be, but they're wealthy, and they have servants. And these servants, man, it would, it would be, I wouldn't know what to do with myself, but it would be awesome. Their job, all they do is wait on this family. Like when they wake up in the morning, they ring a little bell in their room and someone comes up and opens their blinds and lays out their clothes and helps dress them and brings them their food and cleans up after them and then helps put them in their pajamas at night, helps them comb their hair. I know it's weird. It's kind of weird. But that is their existence. That is their... No, that's not what the whole show is about. That's just something the family has. But their existence, these people in this show... Hey... Their entire existence is to serve the every whim of this family. I think that would kind of stink as a lifestyle. For those of you who don't think that, ask your mom how it feels sometimes. Because I can guarantee you, your mom lives like that a lot. But you see, Scripture tells us that, that if, if we are followers of Christ, then we're not the ones who are supposed to be sitting around waiting on everybody to serve us. We are the ones who are supposed to have the servant attitude. We are the ones who are supposed to be looking for opportunities to be servants the way Christ was a servant. Paul's saying that the message of Jesus Christ, he didn't come down to exalt and elevate himself. Yes, Jesus told people he was God, but he didn't say, I'm God, y'all get over here and listen and serve me. He said, I'm God, and I'm here to take care of you. That goes right in the face of the way we live sometimes, doesn't it? We want other people to pick up our trash. We want other people to take care of us. We want other people to serve us. We want other people to lift us up and not bother us with the petty little things that are not worth our time. And yet it tells us right here that that's what Jesus came for. He came to serve other people. Paul reminds us that this is not what life is supposed to be like. In fact, Jesus came himself as a servant. That's what it says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We live in a world that tells you and I every single day, take care of you. Look out for you. Make sure you're provided for. Make sure, number one, nobody gets in the way of you. But that's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says here. Now, do you have to take care of you? Yeah, you need to take care of yourself. But that doesn't put you above everybody else. We still have the opportunity, even in taking care of ourselves, to look for opportunities to serve other people. Now, for some of us, that may mean big sacrifices. That may mean you, I mean, you have to go out of your way. Some of you guys, you're going to Jamaica this summer. And I can tell you right now, you're going to work. Because I've been to Jamaica on this mission trip we're going on. You're going to do some hard work in the mornings. And in the afternoons, we're going to go into a different part. I don't know where we're going this year. Two years ago, we went to a little village that no group had ever come into and shared the gospel before, which was pretty awesome. But we're going to go into a village and we're going to share Jesus Christ. And you're paying $1,400 to do that. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Imagine what you could do with $1,400. You could have a brand new summer wardrobe. You could have a down payment on whatever car you want to drive. For some of you, that would be the cost of your car. Justin, I wasn't going to sing your out, buddy, but I had you in mind. It's a nice truck. I like it. I don't care. For some of you, it's going to cost you to be a servant, big time. But for everybody else, you can serve in little ways. How many of you go to Starbucks on a regular basis? <laughs> he's, he's calling you out, Kathy. You know what? A way you could serve somebody is pay for the drink of the next person in line. You're right. It's five bucks, but you didn't spend 1400 Okay. Hey, you know, you know, hey, sometimes this. Let's listen up. Now, I've seen some of you at lunchtime, and it's literally a race, as y'all get it, especially the guys, to get in the line. You know what? Be the one who stops and holds the door for the rest of your class. No. <laughs> then you couldn't have your tater tots with mayonnaise on them. What's that? The girls do love that boy. They may not admit it now, but trust me, guys, they like that boy. Or this. Hey, guys. Guys. The one that holds the door. Let me tell you this. Hey. You want to you wanna know how messed up our world is? Listen, listen. Hold on. You know how messed up our world is? One of the things that we have taught our sons, Nathan and Jared, is that when we're leaving somewhere or going in somewhere, that we want them to hold the door open. Not just for us, but if there's somebody ahead of us, somebody behind us, we'll say, you know, Nathan, go run, grab that door. And they'll hold it. And there have been times where people have looked at them like they're crazy because they're holding a door open, because they're serving somebody that they don't have to serve. And there have been other times where people look at them and think, oh, that, and they've told them, like, wow, thank you so much, because they don't expect it. 
Because we live in a world that expects everybody to look out for themselves. And when somebody stops and serves someone else, it shocks people. But scripture tells us that's the mindset that we're supposed to have. And guys, there have been days when our boys have been stuck and there's like 10, 12, 15 people coming in line behind us and Kathleen and I are sitting there going, come on, let you know, stop, come, let's go, we've got to be somewhere. But they're doing what we've taught them. And they're being servants. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Simple little things that reflect the fact that we are willing to serve other people in whatever way possible. Make a huge difference in your world. Serve somebody. That's what he's talking about. Then he goes on. And he says in verse 7. We're getting ready to wrap it up here. So please tune in. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. By the way, that's where the name of that band came from, if you've ever heard of them, is this verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Another way that we can live out our relationship with Christ is that we can be authentic in a phony world. And let me explain to you what I mean by this. This is something that I think we as individuals and we as a church, not just North Florida, but the church in general, has struggled with big time. Because when we come to church, we tend to have this mindset that we need to make sure everybody else around us thinks that our life is great. That there are no problems, that we dress the right way, that we speak the right way, make sure we don't say those words that we say when we're with our buddies on the weekend. That we make sure that everything in our life lines up perfectly. And in doing that, we as a church have gained a reputation of being people that are hypocritical. Because we say this is the way our life should be, and yet we go out and we don't always live that life. But when we come to church, everything's perfect. Have you guys ever been in the car with your parents on the way to church? And I mean, it is a knock-down, drag-out fight going on. And when you get out of the car... Everybody's like, hey, how you doing today? I'm so glad you're here. It's a great morning. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to look at him and say, shut up. No, we were fighting five seconds ago. What, Reed? Turns on 88.1. Don't tell me y'all haven't ever done that. You see, hey, you just turn it down. It's okay, I just turn it down. But we do that. Hey, we're phony. We are. There are times in our lives when we come to church and we want people to think that we have it all together. And because of that, as believers, as Christians, people look at us and they say, fake, fake. Fake, fake, fake. You are not real. You're a liar. You're not a person of integrity. But you see, what Paul is saying here, he says we're, we're, we're called to be different. We're called to be authentic. He has called, God has called us to be real with people. To stop trying to hide what's going on. Now, understand this. That doesn't mean you share every dirty, hard detail of your life with people. That's not what that means. But it does mean that you be real with people. 
the way Paul describes it right here when he's talking about God, he described us as jars of clay. Have you ever handled a jar of, made out of clay? Or a, or a clay pot? They, they break pretty easily, don't they? If you drop it, you go buy a new one because it's going to shatter. Those things break. Guys, they are fragile. And yet, this is what, this is what Paul is using to describe us. As followers of Christ, he's saying that, that we carry the message of Jesus Christ. We carry the gospel of what God has done, but we carry it in jars of clay. We have been given this great power and this great truth to convey to people, but we are the most frail method that God could have picked to make it happen. And instead of us trying to make it look like we're not made out of clay, instead we're made out of, we're like this iron pot instead of this jar of clay, then no matter what happens, we're perfect. We won't have any cracks. We won't have any nicks. We won't shatter. We are good to go. Scripture says that we need to show people who we are. We need to show them that we're not perfect, that we have problems, that we are weak, that we struggle. Again, that doesn't mean you share every detail of your struggles. It doesn't mean you share everything, every weakness that is happening in your life right now. But it does mean that you do show some transparency in those things. Guys, I can tell you right now, if you've never experienced any kind of hard thing in your family, parents splitting up, somebody passing away, fights between family members, I pray you never do, but you probably go into at some point. And I can tell you this, you don't want people to know that stuff. But you will be amazed at how God can use your experience to reach other people when you're willing to be authentic with them. I can tell you right now, there was nothing about my parents being divorced growing up that I liked except for one thing, and that was multiple Christmases and multiple birthdays. That was it. But you know what? I didn't talk about it either because I didn't want people to know. I didn't want them to know that I didn't like it. I didn't want them to know that, I, guys, I don't know life. I, I don't remember a time when my mom and my dad were married. They were divorced before I can even remember those things. I was like, I was younger than two, wasn't I? I Miss Kathleen can tell you the whole story. I don't even know the whole story. I don't even remember that. So for those of you whose parents have been together your whole life, I don't even know what that looks like. But you know what? God has allowed me to be able to share parts of my story with other people who are struggling with their parents going through a divorce. I've had my first stepmother died in a car accident when I was in first grade. Miss Kathleen can tell you, I didn't deal with that one for a long time. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to share anything about it. But you know what? Since then, I can't tell you, <laughs> probably half a dozen, maybe eight teenagers that I've talked to who's lost a parent. And because I've been able to look at my story and share with them, all of a sudden I can talk to them about Christ and what Christ can do through that situation, even though it's painful. You see, he calls us to be authentic. We are weak. We are cracked. We are chipped. But we carry the most important thing in the world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are willing to let people see those cracks and see those chips and see the light of Christ shining through those, you will be amazed at what God can do. You'll be amazed at how God can use your story, horrible, tragic, bad as it may be for you, 
God can use it. And God can change people's lives because God has changed your life. That's what he means when he says that we need to be authentic in a phony world because there is a world that is telling you, look out for you, hide everything about yourself and present this image. This is what advertising is. We present an image. We buy the right clothes. We look the right way. We talk the right way, drive the right vehicle, and we put on this mask. Scripture says, take the mask off. Show people what Christ has done. Show people what Christ is doing in your life now. And when you do that, you are living it. You are living that relationship that you have with him. And I can tell you right now, guys, as hard as it is to do that sometimes, if you can do those things, if you can be a person of integrity, if you can serve people, if you can be authentic, if you can do all of those things we've talked about tonight, even just one of them at a time, God will use you to do some incredible things. So here's my challenge to you tonight. Here's my question for you. How are you living the light? How bright are you shining? If you're in here tonight and you say you have a relationship with Christ and a complete stranger looked at one day in your life, would they see that? Would they see a light? Or would they see a bulb that looks like it's turned off? How are you living it out? So my challenge for you tonight is to take that card out. That card that I gave every one of you, pick up that card. Miss Kathleen, if you could grab that basket of pins in the back. And on that card, there are some things written. The first one is this, I will be positive even when. What is it in your life that you know is just going to depress you? It's just going to get you down. I challenge you. Write that down and then put this where you can see it this week so that when that thing starts to get you down, remember who you belong to. Or the second one, I will have integrity even when we all have areas where we're prone to lie. Maybe it's to our parents. Maybe it's to our teachers. What is it? What area do you need to work on having integrity in? Number three, I will be a servant by what can you do tomorrow to serve somebody? Something small, something big, whatever it is for you. And I will be authentic by. <laughs> and this is going to be the hard one. I will be authentic by. What is it that you hide that God could use if you would let show? And I'm not asking you to turn these in. You don't have to show these to anybody. But I want to challenge you. Answer those four questions. Just take a minute now and do that. Answer those four questions and then take this tonight and put this somewhere that you are going to see it for the next week. And you will see it every single day between now and next Wednesday. If you want to leave it up longer than that, please do. If you don't, you don't have to. I'm just asking you to keep it up till next week. So that you can remind yourself every single day that if we're going to live out our relationship with Christ, these are four ways we can do it. Some are easy, some are not. But this is how this, our relationship, become, can become real in our life and in somebody else's life. Will you live it? Let me pray for you guys.